Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Shayla Peach. Thank you so much for joining me this Thursday evening. As always, on a Thursday, I bring you Hashtag Woman Feature. I'm Letambolu. You are listening to Catholic View with Shayla. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful, otherwise you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I am expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome to our Women Feature. As most countries worldwide are in lockdown due to the COVID-19 pandemic, topics such as gender-based violence have become quite common, be it on the news, social media, or even in conversations amongst ourselves. But how often do we talk about abuse within religious institutions? Well, our religious who are victims of abuse are often afraid to speak up or are simply silenced by their superiors. And so this evening, I want to share a conversation I had with a sexual abuse survivor. During a meeting in Rome in January this year, I had the privilege of meeting Dr. Rocio Figueroa, a former consecrated nun who was abused by one of the high-ranking members of the male branch of the Sodalicium Christiane Vice SCV when she was 15. Dr. Rocio is a former member of the Marian Community of Reconciliation, MCR, a pontifically recognized society of apostolic life. Layman Luis Fernando Figare, who founded the SCV in Peru in 1971, was sanctioned by the Vatican in 2017 after it was revealed that he and other high-ranking members had perpetrated years of sexual, physical and psychological abuse inside the community. Today, Dr. Rocio is a lecturer in systematic theology at Good Shepherd College in Auckland, New Zealand, and is an external researcher at the Center for Theology and Public Issues at Otago University. Dr. Rocio has spent the past four years researching the spiritual impact of clerical abuse. Mm-hmm. 
Hello, thank you for inviting me to your program. Uh, my name is Rocio Figueroa. I am a Peruvian theologian, but I live in New Zealand, and I am a lecturer of systematic theology. For some years, I have been, my, my focus of my research have been victims of sexual abuse within the church. So let's talk about that, Rocio. You have recently come out of your shell. You have recently told your story to a multitude of people, and that's also a way of helping other victims to come out. So talk to us about that experience. What was it like for you to actually come out, and what was the response like? Well, uh, I have had one important uh, event when I uh, spoke out in Peru in the national television. It was 2012, so it has been uh, like eight years ago, and it was the first time that I went public, and it was um, really scary for me because I think all victims of abuse, as I, I myself, I am a theologian, but at the same time I was a victim, and I was a victim as when I was a nun, a consecrated woman, and I was um, a, a survivor of an abuse from a, one of the consecrated men of the community, one of the leaders of the community. And when I came out, it was because I felt that I had to do it, because uh, the male community called Sodalis in Peru was covering up the um, crimes of the founder, the second in command, and other members of the community that abused many, many um, young men, um, mostly, but also some, some girls. So uh, that is why I felt the necessity to speak out, because I felt, okay, um, if I give my testimony, that is something that it's a way of uh, making justice, because they were covering up, so my testimony will make a change, and at the same time hoping that another victims will come out. And that happened. After I talked in, in television, many victims also uh, approached us, and, and that is why at the end of this process, that was like in a year, um, the community Sodalicio had to, that is a religious community within the Catholic Church that was founded in Peru, had to recognize 66 victims of physical, psychological, and sexual abuse. But um, there was another step when I came here to Rome uh, for an event of Voices of Faith that it took place two years ago in 2018. And okay, in the Society of Lima of Peru, everyone knew who I, who I was, but it was of course very different to do it in an international level. So it was another step in my way also of healing because it was not just for other victims, it was also because of me, because I, I have to say that it's really different when you speak out. It really helps you in your healing process. Of course, each person has its time. It took me many, many years, more than 30 years, to recognize that I was myself a victim. It took me some other years to be able to talk about it to people that I, that I was confident on. But at the same time, to speak out, it was another step that not necessarily all of people have to do it. But I think it is important and it, uh, to speak to someone about what has happened to us. How long did you live with this abuse and what was life like having to see the abuser on a, every occasion or daily basis? Talk to us about that experience. So with abuse occurred when I was not yet a nun. I was 15 years old, but I belonged to the community. 
as a um, Catholic lay woman, a very of a, a group of young people. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you have to realize that usually victims of sexual abuse didn't recognize. So in that moment, I couldn't face that. It, I didn't know how to label it because this guy didn't rape me. He said that he was going to teach me spiritual exercises to control my celibacy. And so he was showing me spiritual exercises that it was nothing to do with, with a normal, you know, loving relationship. So for me, I couldn't understand what happened. And then, of course, it happened for a long time. I got ill and I got sick because I felt that something was wrong. But I couldn't. Usually the victim tends to... Uh, put the guilt on, onto yourself. So I never, because also he had the reputation of a saint in the community. So I always just blame myself because he was so saint that I had to blame myself. Also because I think it's typical for the victims to blame the, themselves because it's harder to accept that the person that you trusted, because in this case he was my spiritual director, my superior, betrayed me in one way. So you blame yourself, you know? So it passed like 20 years till I, I was mature enough to understand that really I was abused, that that was an abuse. And that what happened to me was a sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And I didn't consent it and I didn't have the notions because I had no experience when it happened I was 15 and I had no experience, sexual experiences at all. So I couldn't know what was happening to me. Was this one of the reasons why you decided to leave the convent? I left the community because uh, I, I really con considered to stay and really separate from the community of the male community that, was the worst, that were the ones who were covering up. But the point was also that in this community was very misogynist and the women hadn't have any... Um, any way of, of no power, no, all the authority was just on the hands of the male community. And I couldn't handle that. And I couldn't handle the fact that they were covering up. So that's why I left. So I didn't just leave because I was a victim. I left also because they, co they were covering up. If they would accept and, you know, and ask me forgiveness and accept the victims and do something, perhaps I would remain. I don't know. But the story went in another way, and that's why I left the community. And you're still very much Catholic, even though you've left the community. Absolutely. Um, but of course, I had a difficult period of a crisis of faith, because I, after 20 years of being a, a religious woman, I discovered that, you know, that the people which I trusted, they were cheaters and they were not pe good people. So it really generated a crisis of faith in which I really uh, also asking God, why? Why did you allow this? Why didn't you defend me? Why this happened to me? And also the reaction of the community at the beginning was of blaming me, you know? Oh, you are the one liar. You are the one who wants to separate the community. So because usually... The, the, the crisis of sexual abuse doesn't affect just the victim or the perpetrator. It affects the community. And sometimes the community don't know, doesn't know how to react. And sometimes they prefer blame the victim. Because 
in that way they don't lose all their securities and certainties. So it was a, a period, a terrible period in which, in which I was blamed because of, of another perpetrator till they accepted. They didn't want to trust in my, or listen my accusations. Uh, but yes, I continue, but then of course um, I said, no, why I have to lose my faith? You know, the ones who have to be out of the church or have to be uh, far away from the church are the persons that are not living the gospel. So I said, I had uh, my parents had an incredible faith, and I said, I will not abandon the faith of my parents because for me my faith was something, the, the best treasure that I have. So I did this process uh, of reconciling myself with on healing, the healing process, in which, of course, I questioned all my, my ideas and my theological thoughts and and in one way, I think my faith has become more mature now. And I, yes, I continue committed now, and also committed to defending and advocating for victims in the Catholic Church. And would you say that coming out, sharing your experience with the world, has helped other women, other religious women that may have been in your situation, especially coming from such a conservative country such as Peru? Yes, a lot. I have to say that that's a very rewarding um, thing because many women, and not just women, also men, you know, they have approached me, and not only from Latin America, really from all over the world, uh, saying thank you, you know, and, and telling me their stories and telling me, okay, I have never told this before. So I think really um, it's very nice when we victims can help other victims and support each other. And yes, I think that's, um, that's empowering. Also, that's a good way of healing because you feel okay, all giving sense to what happened to you, not just refuse it because it's, it's me, it's my story, it's my past, and it belongs to me. So I have to embrace it in, an, in one way. But I can only embrace if I can do something or give sense to what happened to me. And I think that all what I have lived it has now a profound sense because I can help others, because I can understand what it means to be a victim, to be humi sexually humiliated, to be um, disempowered as a woman, disempowered as a person, and, and to feel this terrible sense of betrayal. Rocio, what would be your advice to women or people that find themselves in abusive relationships, but especially women, you find that there are some women who are abused, but because of fear of not knowing of um, where will I go, I've got so many children with this man and he's the provider, uh, can't go back home and maybe the status as well of wanting to remain married, be seen as a married woman, and at the same time you're enduring all this abuse. What would be your advice to such women, as well as religious nuns, who are uh, going through abuse but don't know how to come out? The first thing is to look for help, you know, because sometimes uh, you don't, people or victims don't feel the strength to face the abuser, and also because you have fear, and you have you depend economically, or you depend uh, uh, in other ways, in affection and many other things. So it, it's very important to look for support, 
and in, I think in any country, in any city, and you, I imagine you yourself have given to your public uh, different associations or, or groups that support and help uh, people who are abused. I think that it's very important not to live with that, with that terrible weight by yourself, but first try to look for support because it's it's very hard to do it by yourself i have to say it's very and i understand many people that cannot do it so that's why it's important to look for help always do you think the catholic church is doing enough to support victims of abuse be it religious or non-religious victims no i don't think um first you know for all the crisis of the church of course, something has changed, thank God, because they were first covering up and more worried. But I think we have not put enough uh, the victims at the center of our worries. Look, in more or less, uh, we have six of ten and four of ten uh, girls and boys have been has been sexually abused in their lives. So, in a congregation of 100 people, we have for 40 or 60 people that have experienced sexual abuse. And why then this is not a central topic in our churches? So we we don't deal, we don't talk about it. So we are we 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 are scared of talking about sexual abuse. We are scared of talking about sex. So I think it has to be. We have to be more free, and we have to give a space for the communities in in which people feel um, safe to be able to talk about these issues, this topic. And we as church, we need to put the victims at the center. That is why one of my research is about Jesus as a victim of sexual abuse, because we never see Jesus, that also he suffered a sexual humiliation, to be naked, to be stripped in not a forced stripness, because he, stripped, he was stripped in front of all the crowd, and also, he died nude. Okay, all the images we see Jesus covered with a cloth. But in reality, the Romans wanted to humiliate the prisoners to give a message to all the, the town, to all the, the, empire, the empire. So, really, Jesus knows what we, what we have suffered. Okay, he has not, he perhaps, we don't know, but he has not been raped or he, he was not sexually abused when he was a boy. But he at least understands what it means when you are humiliated in your sexuality, with your, in your body. So sometimes we don't see these things, and I think it will help us to see, and when I have talked to victims and asked them, what do you think about Jesus as a victim? They say, yeah, perhaps that would have helped me, not 50%. But all of them agree that it would be an important topic for the church, not only for victims. And should people want to get hold of you, is there a way that people can communicate with you? Of course, they can. I have my, my webpage, so they can go to uh, www.rociofigueroa.com and you can leave me a message and I will contact you. Or also, you can look, <laughs> some people just, you know, try to find me on Facebook, and that's a good way, a very, or Twitter. So, yeah, I think we can use now, that's a very good thing, that we can use all these media to communicate and to support each other. And if it's not me, try to find another person, you know, but yeah. I will try, of course, to communicate with you if you communicate with me. But, yeah, but 
there is always someone that can help us. And of course, Rocio, now you're in a better uh, stage of your life. You have moved on. You are now married. Yes. Are you happy? Do you feel secure? Do you feel happy? Do you feel that you have um, done something positive in your life and in the lives of many others whom you've touched with your story? Absolutely. I really, I am really very happy. Um, and I think it's a blessing because God is always loyal. So sometimes we think that because we have had a terrible story in our life or not just abuse but other type of traumas or difficulties, we think that we cannot erase our past in one way. And it's true, we cannot erase our past. But the wounds of Jesus, it's like the wounds of Jesus, no? The light of the wounds of Jesus comes through the nails. Through We, we, we see the recent Jesus with his wounds. So we are... We, our wounds is, are part of us, but at the same time, the light come, comes fro, through the wounds. So what I see is that in my life now. I am transformed. My wounds are there. I feel them sometimes. They don't disappear. But at the same time, they have been transformed, and there is lots of light you know, that has come through them. And, and that light has also arrived to other people. And so, I've, yes, I feel fulfilled. I love my husband, and it's very nice because I continue my vocation as a theologian and as a Catholic. At the same time, I have a beautiful companion who supports me, and, and so he is the means of salvation for me. And, and we continue walking together in this path. So I think, yeah, that it doesn't matter what you have lived in the past. We, we really can change things. Lucia, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Any last words? Well, just thank you. And if you have, I will really say to you, don't uh, lose hope. You know, everything that we, any wound can be healed and we can overcome because Jesus is risen. So there is not the death and suffering and wounds have not the last word. Jackie, it's great to have you back online. How's your day? My day has been perfect. Good evening to you, Shayla, and good evening to the listeners. I've been looking forward to this evening and to this moment. Super. So what's on the agenda today? Today we're going to discuss faith and hope during the lockdown. As defenders of families, women of substance, we can't do anything without these two traits. Faith is a small word, however, it has supreme implications. The problem today is that we often have doubts in our faith, and have full faith in our doubts. Women of substance, you might be in despair going through difficulties as a result of what you may be facing currently. But there is a boat that will carry you safely to your destination. There is a vehicle specifically designed for you by the master himself. Most comfortable, beautiful, trustworthy, reliable to carry you, to lift you up, to sustain your mind, to sustain your heart. That vehicle is none other but faith. This vehicle ensures manifestation of things that are invisible. The letter of Hebrews 11 verse 1 explains that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance clearly refers to material things, tangible things, hoped for not yet manifested, nor materialized, but through faith they are made possible. The same letter, verse 6 of it says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. 
all who come to Christ must believe that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In the midst of the storm, just have faith. Ephesians 6 verse 15, Above all, take, it, take in the shield of faith, wherein we can quench the fiery darts of the wicked, of the enemy. Faith is our shield. It protects from wallowing into depression, into stresses of this world, into our own darknesses. Into, it is a weapon fashioned to uplift you, to set you free, to put you on a most comfortable level. It is through faith that Moses refused to be called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh, despite how comfortable it may have appeared, that he chose to suffer for the little while. He had a choice of being comfortable. Through faith that the walls of Jericho collapsed. Through faith that Abraham agreed to make his only son, Isaac, a sacrifice. For he believed that even if he was was dead, God will raise him from the dead. Abraham had faith that helped him to venture into a new world that he knew nothing about. Faith in God is the ultimate greatness. Women of substance, our barrenness is known by God. Let us never forget to remember how Sarah conceived Isaac, despite her state of barrenness as confirmed by the world. God changed the situation around. If there are any gifts of God that we have abide by, according to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 18, faith, hope, charity. Let's abide in them forever. There is a thin line between faith and hope. As much as faith brings things into action, hope sustains us. As much as faith materializes things, hope keeps you in shape during the stage of affliction. Hope keeps you standing. As much as faith brings things into existence, hope sees things from a distance. It makes you see the light in the tunnel, not outside of the tunnel. For hope is an anchor of our souls. If we are, we are, we can actually just give an analogy. In a harbor, there's a small rudder which is used, and it keeps the boat from being swayed away by the sea's water, by the storms, by the wind. Irrespective of the smallness of this rudder and the hugeness of the boat, it is still able to can do what it does. So that is the hope that we look, we're talking about. We are not talking about falsehood. We need to be careful of that. But hope from God. Women of substance, in your corner, wherever you are, ask God to give you this hope. It is this hope that will keep you smiling. It will testify on your behalf without you saying a word. For 15 years, David running away from Saul, living in caves, in the wilderness, it was this hope that we are talking about that sustained him, that kept him, that was his bosom friend. It was through hope that Joseph remained alive in the cruel prison in Egypt while he was tortured. At 16, verse on that, it was hope that sustained Apostle Paul and Silas in prison, being bitten, tortured. It was hope that ignited their souls to worship and praise the Lord amidst the situation. It was hope that carried Jesus, that sustained him on the toughest road to the cross. He had hope that our lives will be saved. Now, woman of substance, it is only endurance in tough times that hope can be sparked. When you lose hope, all is gone. When you lose hope, everything and anything seems right, even if it's wrong. You seek even the wrong ones to be your answer for you. It brings suicide. It brings addiction. It brings defeat. It tells you all the negative things, all the negatives. It brings the so-called blessers to think that they, they become, they are important. The reward of hopelessness is destruction. Keep your ship afloat in the torrent, storms by hope. 
keep your boat sailing in the midst of coronavirus. Our God will calm the storms. He is able. Mark 25, verse 25. Hope that is carried. That carried a woman who was bleeding for 12 years unto Jesus. In conclusion, COVID-9 is conquered. We are defenders of family. Let us stay at home. Let us to save lives. Faith and hope will do wonders for us. The mustard seed side is sufficient to carry all of us to our destination. It is sufficient to attract batteries for our children, to take away the addiction, to change that elephant in our homes that is abusing us. It changes situation. Go out there, conquer with hope and faith. This is one commitment everyone must make. Always be part of the solution, not part of the problem, of the problem itself. I thank you. Thank you very much, Jackie. And of course, thank you for emphasizing the word hope, because that's what this Easter time is all about. It's an Easter of hope. Thank you very much, Sheila. Indeed, hope is all we need. That's our weapon. And we shall emerge victoriously with justice hope. I want to leave my footprints on the sands of time. No, there was something that and something that I left behind. When I leave this world, I'll leave no regrets. Leave something to remember so they won't forget I was here. Well then, that brings me up to time. This has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pierce for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. Remember to keep safe. I'm Sheila Pierce.